Hello and welcome to episode number 15 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, massive show lined up for you guys today as we head to Australia's West Coast to talk to West Australian swimming superstar, Miss Brianna Throssell. Caught up with Brianna last week and discussed how she is going at the moment with her training during COVID-19, as well as her early days in the pool. We also go through her rise through the junior teams, world shore course teams, to making her first Olympics in Rio. We also chat about her coach, Michael Palfrey, and what she gets up to away from the swimming pool. And of course, we cover her amazing part in the women's 4 by 200 meter freestyle relay from world champs last year in Korea, where the girls won gold and broke the world record as well. So get your snacks together, top up your drink, and put your feet up and relax, because Ep 15 with Brianna Throssell starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining us today on the show is an Olympian and a swimmer who was a part of the world record swim last year in South Korea in the women's 4 by 200 meter freestyle relay with her teammates Ariane Titness, Maddie Wilson and Emma McKeon. She's been to world champs, com games and been a mainstay in the Australian team now for the past six years. It is a very warm welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Brianna Throssell. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me. I'm good, thank you. How are you? <sighs> Mate, I can't, um, I can't complain. I've just had a couple of coffees and, and I'm ready to rumble, so I'm all good. What about yourself? I'm good. Busy morning of uni and training and, yeah, just life in COVID. <laughs> what sort of training did you get up to today? Um, this morning I had a, actually a pretty cruisy morning and I just did some upper body gym. Um, yeah, yesterday was a really big day of cardio and things like that, so I thought I'd take this day a bit easier. Mate, now for all the listeners out there, and of course they probably get bored about this because I'm always in the studios in Sydney. But this is more about you guys. Where have we caught you guys? Where have we caught you today? Uh, I'm in Perth. Yeah, I'm in Western Australia at the moment. Nice. What's the weather like over there today? It is cloudy. Yeah, we we had some really really hot weather, like above 35 degrees through um through Easter. But yeah, yeah it's really starting to um. Oh, the cooler the cooler weather is approaching us now, unfortunately. And and you mentioned there you're in the gym. Um, a, a lot of people have been trying to keep up with their training, maybe jumping in the pool, uh, backyard pool or the ocean. I mean, how, how's the water like over there? Is it too cold to jump in? Um, it is a little bit fresh. Um, <laughs> I do have a wetsuit that I'm now using. Yeah. Um, when I go swim in the ocean, but I was just sort of, yeah, braving the cold previously. Well, the, the weather was a bit warmer a few weeks ago, so it wasn't too bad to swim in it. But, yeah, now I'm 
swimming in a wetsuit or in the pool, but my pool's a little bit cold, so I do prefer swimming in the ocean. <laughs> but how are you going with this whole self-isolation thing? And I guess you guys are over in WA, so I'm not sure about, you know, what the restrictions are over there, but how has it sort of affected you and, and your mindset at the moment and what challenges have you found? I really feel like initially, like the day sort of the news broke that like waste sort of my training facility won't is shutting down and sort of Olympics are now cancelled. They haven't really said that, look, we're going to host it next year. Yeah. Um, I was gutted. I was mm. absolutely gutted. I, yeah, I really needed to take that day. It was, it was a Monday and I was like, look, I just needed to cry just to release some emotion. And yeah, I mean, I was so ready to go this year and it was quite disappointing hearing that news. But I think to come Tuesday morning, I sort of reassessed everything. I knew that it was the, it was the hundred percent right decision that, was made mm. and yeah i just sort of planned planned for 2021 and to be honest since tuesday four weeks ago i have loved it <laughs> you talk about loving it how have you and your coach and your team sort of stayed connected there's you know many teams out there are doing a lot of different things what about you guys how have you stayed in touch yeah, so the first few days when we were still allowed to catch up in groups of 10, um, we had sort of face-to-face -face meetings for, I think, three days straight. We were just sort of catching up in the park just to discuss, you know, what's sort of going to happen moving going forward. So, um, yeah, initially we sort of did that. And then now every Sunday we have a Zoom call with our squad and our training, um, like our coaches and, yep. and our um, staff groups. So we talk about training. A few people will talk about what they've done during the week and go into specifics about um, their life, their uni, their work, sort of like what's happening with them, which is really great because we've sort of gone from seeing each other 30 hours a week and knowing basically everything about one another and mm. what everyone's done to nothing. So, yeah, these Sunday morning calls are really great and we have we have a quite relaxed sort of program at the moment. We have three three gym programs a week that we sort of do to the best of our ability given sort of the equipment we have at home. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we have those three three gyms scheduled a week and then we were also given a little heart rate monitor and anything else we do, whether it be a walk, a run, a swim in the ocean, a we jump on the bike or we do a little circuit, we just wear the heart rate monitor mm -hmm. and sort of that all feeds back to our coaches um, so they sort of know what we're doing, but they're they're quite relaxed about it. They just they wanted us to just uh, initially just to sort of you know sort of understand what's happened, take some time to process that, and now now they're like encouraging us to you know get an hour or two hours of exercise a day, which is great. I, I've really really enjoyed sort of making up you know making up my own programs and yeah trying to teach myself how to run <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've, I've spoken to a few athletes um through this time and and i think the um consensus is people are enjoying sort of that time um to do their own thing and um i was talking to jake packard the other day and he's been out fishing and surfing and he's like he's loving life like he gets yeah. up in, in the morning and he doesn't come home to like after lunch now he's just out and, and enjoying himself so um i think you know people have have found uh, the silver lining through all of this yeah, and I think that's the way you got to look at it. Like, you can't just sit there and think, oh, you know, I want to be in the pool training. You just – you really have to make the most of the situation. And, you know, the people that I've – like, the swimmers that I've spoken to, we, we have all been enjoying it so far, Yeah, which is – yeah, it's a really big positive. They talk to me about those Zoom meetings. Do they stay, you know, professional? I mean, I know you can change the backgrounds in those and things like that. Have you been having a bit of fun with it, though, as well? 
Um, actually, our assistant coach did change the background on Sunday, just gone. But yeah, uh, I don't know. We're, we're very, yeah, they are quite professional. And I mean, there's always a laugh being said here and there. But um, yeah, they're quite professional. And, you know, our coach talked to us about, you know, the meetings that he's had and when sort of when there's talk about the pool reopening. And so they yeah. are quite serious conversations. Yeah. And then, yes, some of the boys might talk about some funny stuff they've been up to during the week. <laughs> Mate, you mentioned there your dry land program and you went into it a little bit. I want to push you a little bit more for more of an insight into your week. Give me a little uh, snapshot into your week at the moment and what it looks like, say, from Monday to a Saturday. What exactly are you doing each day? Um, so Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I'm doing gym, yep. so like a lifting weight sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest... I sort of make up the rest of the rest of the, the rest of the time. Like, yeah, yeah. Like if, if it's really sunny outside, I might try go for like a, a long walk, like try get a ten kilometer walk in or mm-hmm. something. Um, if I'm feeling super motivated, I might go and run ten fast four hundreds. Yeah, it really depends on sort of how a little bit on the weather, a little bit how I'm feeling. But yeah, I try to get it about two hours of exercise a day. Um, whether that, yeah, I really enjoy Pilates. I've been going to. Um, following this there's a place in byron bay called hustle yep. um and oh my goodness that's the hardest mat pilates i've ever done so i've been um doing following their sort of program with a, with a friend in the park and yeah just training with different people and just breaking things up just as much as i can just to keep you know stimulated and really motivated you mentioned running there that's probably the other thing that i've i've heard along the way is um people's uh, unhappiness about uh <laughs> having to having to get some running in now um there's not many swimmers that uh, i know that enjoy getting out there and going for a run what about yourself i hate it <laughs> absolutely hate it it's funny i like once sort of we um we do if it's like a form of exercise we upload it um without with our heart rate monitors yeah and I, I always look back and like oh you know what was my like what was my max heart rate what was mm-hmm. my average my average when i run is like 185 and i've gotten up to like <laughs> 205 when i run up a hill like <laughs> i just physically can't do it yeah it, it, yeah i find it a really really challenging thing to do but yeah, I can't even say I'm getting better at it or that it's getting easier. So I don't think you're alone yeah. there, mate. I don't <laughs> think you're alone. Uh, mate, a, a cheeky question now, a bit of fun. If, you know, a lot yep. of people are stuck in their houses, you know, and they and they can't get out, right? Is there anyone from the Australian team or your own training program that you wouldn't want to get stuck in isolation with? <laughs> I, have, I have had some interesting answers with this, but I'll, I'll see how you go. Oh, that's a really tough question to, to be put on the spot. <laughs> Um, maybe I'd say oh, she's a very good friend of mine. Um, Tay McEwen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I can imagine her being very very um vocal if you were sort of housebound. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> she's I, usually my roommate, so yeah. I know her very very well. Right. But yeah, I think if four or five weeks housebound with Tay would be. Would be interesting. <laughs> I spoke to her the other day, and she—I think she put her sister under the bus and said her sister. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what? Um, talk to me. We'll we'll take a little step back now into the younger years when you first started. What did you enjoy most about swimming when you were younger? I think I guess I made my first team when I was thirteen, or maybe I was twelve, twelve or thirteen. No, I think I was thirteen, and I was junior worlds and. 
the experience and getting to, I think the idea of getting to travel for your sport mm. and internationally is so appealing as as like a young teenager. I think that is so incredible. And I think that's what really, really like stuck with me is that, you know, I was 13 and I got to go to Peru um, for Junior Worlds. And nice. it was like, it was an incredible experience. And I, I kind of clicked at that moment like, wow, I'm sort of like halfway or um, opposite side of the world right now doing something I love. And I think that really, yeah, really resonated with me made me become a lot more sort of motivated and I wanted to make the team next year because that was um, junior Pampax in Hawaii. So that would have been incredible. And, mm. yeah, I just think being able to to travel and do what you love all around the world and the people you meet and like it, it's great learning off all different people and, yeah, taking what, yeah, just taking the experiences and learning as you learning as you meet new people and see new things. It's It's incredible. You said that your first trip was to Peru. Where before that, where had you been on family trips? Like I know for myself, when I was younger, my only family trip was from Sydney up to the Gold Coast. That's as far as we would ever go, and we do it in the car too. We would never fly; we'd have to sit in the car the whole way. What was your biggest trip before that? We had done literally all of Asia. Our oh, family holidays nice. were just Asia, so I was so excited yeah. to get out of like not travel to Asia. Um, yeah, we had just done Malaysia, Singapore, um, Penang, Kuala Lumpur. I think we did a big trip in, into China. That's actually that was just before two thousand, uh, early two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah just before the Olympics. So it was, it actually, that was a great family holiday, getting to see um, all the stadiums being built, the Bird's Nest, the Cube, like, just before. Um, obviously, they raced in it later that year for the Olympics. So I think that was actually really cool being an athlete and getting to see that um but yeah so family holidays were just all over asia so yeah it was so exciting getting to getting to explore more of the world world traveler here i am sitting in a car for 10 hours going up the highway to the gold coast and you're (laughs) traveling around the world to asia (sighs) just living the dream mate what about as far as swimming goes when you were you know a young young swimmer i mean were you a natural was it something that you've you've had to really work on to to get to that level or i think when i was younger i it's hard to know if i was a natural or not i feel like it's i think it came naturally but i swam because i loved it yeah it was literally just enjoyment when i was younger yeah i really enjoyed i don't know why but <laughs> enjoyed swimming <laughs> up and down the pool yeah. and yeah, it was absolute pure enjoyment when I was young and I think I just – obviously, I still really, really enjoy it now, but I think that's why I sort of stuck at it because I was never, like, incredible or I never really stood out that much when I was younger, but I just enjoyed it. So I think my swimming career has been quite like a, a natural progression from, you know, I think I, I was three months or six months old when I sort of first – mum first got me into the pool and yeah, so as a baby, I, I loved it as a little toddler learning to swim, like – through school and then yeah I just joined a really really small squad and swam a couple of afternoons a week thoroughly enjoyed that and yeah from there I took it a little bit more serious and you know went to a bigger club that offered say like mornings before school and yeah it was just a really really natural progression. Now you mentioned school there and a lot of kids well not at the moment because everyone everyone has to stay at home but there's a lot (laughs) of kids out there that have to try and balance training and and school and obviously if they're getting to a certain level and a standard of swimming there's more expectations but also you know more expectations of school as well how did you manage to balance that and did you have any any um troubles 
I wouldn't say troubles. I feel like one, like a key, like like maybe say a a strength of mine is time management. Mm -hmm. Um, But in school, I was, I knew that I was never, ever going to forget about my studies or my school because I wanted to pursue swimming. I knew that I wanted to graduate school with the best HR and get into get into what I wanted. So I never really, you know, pushed that aside to focus on swimming because in the end, if I, you know, not sort of paid attention in year 11 and 12 and came out with a, a not so great ATAR, swimming's not going to get me into university. Mm. So I know I, I took a, I took a huge step back in year 12. I even, um, I was offered a, a spot on the junior worlds team and I actually um, declined that position to focus on um, getting through your 12 and, and, and doing as best as I could. Oh, nice. Mate, growing up, did you have any heroes in the pool? What Any swimmers that you looked up to? Um, Steph Rice has always been sort of um, my athlete hero. I Her performance in 2008 and, yeah, how like in, how incredible she handed herself in and out of the pool. Yep. Um, yeah, she was sort of like a company's, a company's dream. So, yeah, her performances in 08, world records, three gold medals. I just think that is so incredible. And, yeah, she's given talks uh, – Earlier this year, we had um, the butterfly camp, and she spoke of that. Mm-hmm. And she also spoke at the butterfly camp last year. And I just think um, a lot of what she says, I really resonate with. And I think she's a great, a great female, you know, leader, and wants to do great things in life, even post swimming. So I just, I think that's really incredible. Yeah, she's a great role, role model. I, I 100% agree. Um, mate, we talked about just before and you mentioned around that 12, 13 year age is when you, you started making teams. Is that sort of when swimming started to go to another level for you or did you make a few you know adjustments before that? I think I'd made like there was the old state teams that you sort of make when you're you know, 11, 12, and then I made it a trans-Tasman. And we even got to New- go to New Zealand for that. So I feel like even before I made my first um, sort of junior, like the major junior team, I had sort of been exposed to, I guess, like high-level competition for like a 11, 12-year-old. So I knew sort of that was what I wanted to do. And so to make that first team was, was yeah, a really, really exciting sort of crucial point in my career. Mate, big challenges in training for, um, you know, a lot of swimmers out there. What were some of the bigger challenges for you to overcome within your training? I mean, were there certain things you need to improve more on? Was it kick, pull, underwater work, dives, turns? Oh, geez, that's a tough question. I think <laughs> We ask the tough questions I, here, mate. <laughs> yeah. What I sort of um, struggled with was almost the communication with my coach. That I sort of... Going through school, like I feel like your coach always wants you to swim and, oh, well, why do you have a session off? It's just an exam or that mm. sort of – I just – I found that quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think something – I know it's not really pool-related, but communication has been something that I've really tried to work on. And just just to be an open book with, you know, both well, university now or, um, you know, your school, your school teachers, um, your coach, just to sort of – so they understand what everything – everything that's going on, if you're sort of going through an exam block and your coach has no idea why you're rocking up to training tired every day because you've, you know, you've been studying late hours or you're a little bit stressed out, you, like coaches need to know that. So I think communication is something I've mm. really tried to work on and have improved over recent, well, you know, five, ten years now. Mm. Yeah, um, I think that's awesome advice. As, as a coach myself, I think uh, 100% you're on the money there. Uh, <laughs> communication stops a lot of problems. So uh, I think yeah, that's awesome definitely. advice. 
Um, and then I guess oh yeah, talking go for it. in the pool. Oh, sorry, um, talking yeah. in the pool. My um, my kick. So my underwater kick has yeah. really yeah. been something that I put a big focus on. I, to be honest, I have a little bit of a phobia of holding my breath, mm-hmm. so I never used to like training it. But I sort of yeah, I guess I've come up sort of with techniques and things to work around that. And I've kind of realised that it's not about holding your breath; it's actually about you know, the speed of your kick and the, the pressure in the water and that sort of thing. So I guess in the past two years, I've really tried to improve um, sort of my underwater my underwater skills and basically how fast I can get underwater and trying to maximise that in a race. Right, between 2012 and 2014, you make your first Australian teams with trips to Istanbul and Doha and for World uh, Short Course Champs and a trip to China, I think, for the Youth Olympics. You know, yes, uh, yes. What were those first experiences like for you? I mean, we touched on how much you enjoyed the travelling part, but in terms of the competition and uh, the preparation, I mean, did you learn anything about yourself on those trips that you might not have known before? Oh, I guess my first senior team, like, so that was World Short Course, was 2012. And it was very much, I basically won the 100 butterfly because everyone was not racing short course nationals after the Olympics and they needed a butterfly for the relay. So I was kind of picked by default on this relay uh, mm. for the relay. So, and I, I was 16 at the time and on my first senior team with basically 25 athletes that I have never, ever met yeah. in my life who were like, you know, 10 years older than me. I was petrified, honestly petrified. I had to I was the only person from Perth who qualified. I remember flying by myself to to Tur- yeah, to Turkey. Um yeah, it was a really, really nerve wracking experience. And I remember thinking, I don't even want to be on this team. But I think I guess like that's where like you need to sort of like I say, how welcoming the dolphins are and how inclusive they are. Mm. Like it was, it turned out to be one of the most incredible experiences and incredible teams. And I guess, yeah, I was rooming with, yeah, one of the older, um, older swimmers and yeah, it was, that she was a great mentor. So I feel like that was a really, really great stepping stone in my, my sort of swimming career was sort of making that first senior team where it was a bit more of a relaxed environment because lots of people were having breaks after the Olympics, but yeah, all in all, that was, yeah, it was a big, um, a big team to make being like 16. Yeah, and I guess just it, it sort of took you out of your comfort zone, what you, what you thought was, you know, normal before. Now, you know, you're way out of your comfort zone and you had to sort of learn on the run. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And then I guess, yeah, 2014, I um, qualified for Youth Olympics and that was, that was incredible and still one of my favourite meets to this date and especially performance-wise. That was, I feel like, when I really sort of stepped up to the mark on an international stage, I was fortunate to be sort of one of the older athletes there and I'd been, I had made two, one, um, you know, one senior team before and been on quite a few junior teams, but it was our first sort of village experience and being sort of in the athlete village and um, yeah, the dining hall and just, just that sort of experience was, I think, to do that, to be able to have that before qualifying for the, you know, the big Olympics in 2016, that was, yeah, a really, really um, incredible that experience to have. Now, you mentioned 2016 and, and this was your first Olympics that you made in the 200 fly. Talk to me about training block leading up to that Olympics. Now, keeping in mind, um, you've been on a few Aussie teams before this, as we just talked about, but does the prep for an Olympic um, year feel any different? Were there, are there more nerves about it? How, how did you, you know, go um, training-wise leading up to it? Yeah, 
To be honest, I find that really difficult to answer because I can't really remember that prep. Yeah. But it's all a little bit of a blur. The the lead up, without going into too much detail, with my coach was a bit of quite messy and I ended up leaving him straight after the Olympics. So yeah. the whole lead up was a really, really like, – since like basically beginning of the year of 2016, um, it was quite a difficult time between my coach and I. So, yeah, in terms of training ramping up, not really. But if I was sort of to say – Compared this year, like 2020 when the Olympics were supposed to be, compared to 2016, there is a huge difference. I was putting all my eggs in in one basket. I had deferred uni to focus on the Olympics. I was doing everything I could in and out of the pool to give myself the best shot to qualify and, fingers crossed, then perform at the Olympics. Mate, fast forward to Rio um, and you finish, I think, eighth in the final. I mean, how do you look back on your first Olympic experience? It was an awesome experience, really awesome, but I was very disappointed with my performance, yeah. very disappointed. I guess like when you say, oh, you finished eighth in the final, it's like, yeah, that's also last. <laughs> so, yeah, I finished, last. <laughs> I finished last in the final of the Olympics and I think it was by a long way as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess I was so excited coming into 20 – oh, sorry, for these past four years since that race, I have – I have worked so hard and was so ready to sort of almost rectify that performance for in 2020. So, yeah, it was definitely disappointing but also so highly motivating and I knew that I had more more to give and more to offer swimming as a sport. Hey, talk to me about that outside of the pool though. What was it like outside of the pool in the village? Did you bump into any other superstars of, of other sports or...? Um, yeah, I mean, it's incredible being associated or even just sitting in a dining hall with, you know, Rafa and Roger sitting right there. Mm. Like, and it's it's almost, it's this strange feeling. It's, I don't know. I watch the, te- I love tennis. Watch the tennis, say, Wimbledon or Australian Open, and I put them on such a pedestal. Yeah. I'm like, wow, these athletes are just, just the most untouchable humans in the world. But you put us all in the athlete village together and at the Olympic scenario and we're all just on an equal playing field. Like, it's, yeah, it's a really, really strange experience. But, yeah, I'm sort of not one to go up and ask for a photo or an autograph or yeah. anything, but I did sort of admire from afar and think, wow, you know, we are here at the same competition sort of competing for, the, I guess, the same thing, like a gold medal. So, yeah, it was incredible to sort of have that thought that, you know, these athletes that I have, or I guess I still do, put on a pedestal, we are at the same competition. Mate, the following two years from Rio, you continue to make the Aussie teams. You go to Hungary for world champs. But the one I wanted to ask about was 2018 Com Games on the Gold Coast, um, an awesome meet yeah. for the Aussies as a whole. But also for you, a bronze in the 100 fly and then being a part of the gold medaling 4 by 200 meter freestyle relay team. How do you look back on those games? I think um, I've always struggled with confidence in the pool. And I guess 20, 2015, I was thrilled with my performance. 2016, not so much. 2017 was even worse. So then to come out in sort of 2018 and finally, like all that training has sort of finally come together. It was incredible. Like to come away with a huge PB, a bronze medal in the 100 fly. Um, I think we got a Commonwealth record in the 4 by 2 a gold medal in the 4 by 2 It was, It was a dream. Like... To, yeah, I was so ecstatic with my performances and the crowd there, like I think I've never performed on a home soil before. It's like 
like nothing else. And I know my family was there watching, even extended family, like cousins and my grandparents. So, yeah, it was it was one incredible experience as a whole. And I, yeah, d- don't forget it till this day. Now, I, I like to take the listeners inside um, an athlete's mind, especially elite athletes as yourself. And I was hoping you could give us a little insight into how you and your coach, Michael, put together a race plan, say for 100 freestyle or 100 fly. What specifically do you talk about uh, and little key points in terms of things you need to be thinking about during your race? Hmm. Okay, let's not go to 100 freestyle because I'm, I'm not like, – I'm still working on that. Whereas yeah, my 100 okay. fly – All right, let's go to 100 of, fly. <laughs> I have more of like a structured race plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, so I see my coach just before I head down to marshalling area mm-hmm. like I think most swimmers do. Um, and the first thing he says to me is, do you know your breathing pattern? I'm like, yes, Mick, I know my breathing pattern. <laughs> yeah. One up, one down on the way down, two up, one down on the way back. And it, it never changes, but he always asks me the same question. Mm-hmm. And then it's work your dolphin kick off the start, off the balls. I'm like, yes, Mick, I know I'm going to work my dolphin kick. <laughs> yeah. He's like, and then it's, and then he often said something about um, go out sort of with relaxed, relaxed speed because I, I kind of can do one of two things, either one, go out fast and it's taking a lot of energy out of me or two, go out too slow and mm-hmm. I don't really – I never really get on pace and the back 50 then is not is rubbish because I, you know, was never there from the start. Yep. So, yeah, he sort of is like, you know, get out fast but as relaxed as possible. So that's like a huge sort of key key point in my 100 fly race. And then and then he's like, yeah, and just, just remember the training you've done for this. Mm-hmm. As in I think he likes to give me like a little bit of confidence like, you know, you, you've done the work, it's time to sort of put it together now. So, yeah, that's sort of – yeah, I, I I prefer to keep things really really simple and just have a few key points. Yeah. Um, I probably would be a bit my brain would be a bit overwhelmed if I was, you know, had a really really long mm-hmm. race instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you have got nerves going on, and yeah, I think I'd forget everything if I was given you know ten different things to think about. So my coach and I keep things simple and yeah, simple and effective. Um, South Korea world champs. Um, some really, really fast swimming went on at this meet, including you know swims from yourself, and you managed to be a part of some great swims, including the four by one hundred meter freestyle relay, uh, the IM relays, the individual, um, uh, so the the mixed. Um, I want to focus on the four by two though, obviously, <laughs> which you yeah. guys broke the world record. Talk to us about you know in particular your thoughts, your memories on on what you. Ariane, Maddie, and Emma achieved. I've actually got a bit of a story to tell about this race because yeah, go for it. Um, so Ariane and Emma were sort of given the spot, like guaranteed spots for the final. Mm-hmm. So they didn't actually race the heat. So like in relays, you know, you, you got to qualify your team in the morning for that for the final swim. So there were four of us in the morning: um, Kia, Leah, Maddie Wilson, and myself. And we were all basically the four of us were fighting for two spots. Mm-hmm. And I was about I was about midway or even two thirds of the way through my um my program at Worlds and I I was really really pleased with with how I've gone so far and I I swam third in the heat of the relay and I think Leah swam first and then Maddie swam second and then I swam third and the scoreboard in South Korea was actually really really cool that when you sort of touch it will show your split. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will show like the time you swam in the relay and like, so, you know, immediately. 
And I remember I'd done it for the 100 freestyle and had seen my time for in, in that relay. And, yeah, I was really, really pleased with that. So I knew that as soon as I touched the wall, I'd be able to see my split and basically sort of know if I would have got to swim the, that final at night. And I touched and it said 200. And I was just gutted. Yeah. I think I spent five, no, not five minutes, but I took a long time sort of getting to the wall, getting myself out. And I, like, you know, joined, the, joined my teammates behind the blocks. And Maddie turned to me and she's like, no, 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 the scoreboard's broken. Like, that's not your time. I think you went at 157. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I think I went at 156. Yeah. And then, oh, my God, I was just like, I honestly, I thought I've never, like, I was so ecstatic that that scoreboard showed the wrong time. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but, like, Maddie also said that she turned around and saw a 2 double and she was, she was so upset. But, yeah, we kind of did the maths and figured out that the scoreboard was showing incorrect splits. So, yeah, it was a... Oh, bit of a stressful morning, but um, yeah, I, Maddie and I did get the spots and got to swim the the relay that night. And I guess getting getting up with those the three other girls was oh, it was so exciting. I think there had been a bit of talk about the relay um, with the Yanks and ourselves, and and then we had also been sort of told that there was a potentially a world record on the line. On the line, so I think I knew that I just wanted to go in and do the best job I could for the team. I knew my performances that week had been good, so I just wanted to keep the ball rolling and, you know, put the team in as best position as I could. And we were so lucky that the four of us just absolutely stepped up and did, individually did as incredible as they could. And then as a team, yeah, came together and got the win and, yeah, we got the world record. And then, yeah, celebrating, well, not celebrating, but, you know, that, that moment when you sort of see it happen, Un- or unfold, unfold in front of you was, yeah, something that's yeah quite hard to explain. Mate, you got to experience something that uh, you know guys like me only get to, to sit on the lounge and watch, which is obviously um, the national anthem playing for you and, and the girls. Must have uh, yeah. give you goosebumps and and a you know something that you dreamed about. Yes, I think singing the anthem with like three of three of your teammates is one incredible experience. Um, and, again, seeing um, that the flag raise just next to you as well is so – it is so humbling and, yeah, something I'll really never forget. Is it a moment, I guess, and, and so much of what you guys do uh, is individual and, and, you know, you're training yourself and, you, you know, you're trying to compete for yourself. But when you get on the on the dais and you see the flag coming up and you hear the national anthem, is that sort of a moment that you realise, you you know, you're also doing it for your country and there's a lot of people behind you and supporting you? Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like it's, um in Australia, we do put a lot of emphasis on relays. You know, I feel like relays really bring bring everyone together. Mm. Um, and it's not even just the four of you that race the relay. There's, you know, there were six of us that sort of made up that four by two hundred. And even then, like, I, I know that the the four by two hundred girls were so excited for the four by two hundred boys because, you know, we both got gold in the same event. So it really brings the whole Australian swim team together. Mm. Like relays, I think everyone gets so excited about relays and, yeah, I guess talking about, you know, support staff and uh, people that have sort of helped us along the way, I guess I'd never really – I never really take that for granted because whether I'm in relay or individual because I know I wouldn't be doing half of what I'm doing without without the help and support of sort of everyone around me. Yeah. 
Mate, so much is made these days of pre-race routines and, and you know, getting yourself in the right headspace. We talked a little bit just before about what you talked to your coach about, but what sort of an athlete are you before a race? I mean, do you need to stay cool, calm and collected to get your best results or are you someone that, you know, has, um, you know, aggressive music in, in her ear and sort of pumps herself up before a race? What what are you sort of like before a race? Um, I guess I'm a bit of both. I don't like aggressive music. I don't really like being like in a really aggressive mindset. But yeah. I know I like I love sort of pressure and I love nerves. So I know that I need to sort of be in a really sort of nervous, not, not over the top nervous, but I need to be really nervous about my race to do well. Like I love that. I, I thrive off that pressure. So, yeah, but I also know that if I'm sort of too far too nervous like that can also be be quite detrimental so i need like i try and find that really happy medium where you know i'm excited but i'm nervous to race and yeah that's sort of the headspace that i ideally like to be in when i get up on the blocks do you have any pre-race rituals is there anything you know the night before or the day of that you have to do um not really i'm not really big on on those just because if you can't do it because of whatever reason that you know, wherever you are doesn't have the facilities or there's something that you can't do, like, is that going to throw you off? So Mm -hmm. I'm really not too big on, like, superstitions and, you know, doing the same thing before a race or after a race or the night before, but I do really like having my nails painted or done. (laughs) I cannot relate Um, to that. I cannot relate. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's about the only thing for me, though. Mate, what about pre-race playlists? What sort of music are you listening to before you race? Oh, geez, it really changes. Like, I love a bit of Peking Duck or Pinal, a yeah. bit of Rihanna. Yeah, quite mainstream sort of music. Mm-hmm. Something like, I wouldn't say like really high pop music, but something upbeat, happy, that yeah. sort of Putting you in a good mood. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about your coach, Michael Palfrey, and what is he like as a coach and what might we not know about Michael? Is there anything you get to see on pool deck that we wouldn't? Oh, I think Mick can come across with quite a, a really tough exterior. Mm-hmm. But so often in training, I had this conversation with one of my teammates a couple of weeks ago, uh, just before this whole COVID scenario, and he was like, Mick often threatens us, oh, if you don't do this, you've got extra off. You know, <laughs> yeah. this happened. It's not good enough. We'll be starting again. I don't yeah. care if we're here till midnight. Mm-hmm. And I was having this discussion with a teammate, and he's like, Deep down, Mick's just a softy. Like <laughs> I really like I, he, he 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 loves to threaten, and I think a little threaten, like a threat, will put us all in line and make us perform. Yeah. But he never really follows through with actions. Like we're not going to be at the pool till midnight because yeah. the pool needs to close. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he he likes to threaten, but look, I don't want to speak too soon just in case he does hear this podcast. Mm, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Next time you'll stay, you'll t- when the pool opens back up again, you'll talk to yeah. management and keep it open until yeah. 12 just for you. Yeah, prove her wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Mick, Mick likes to threaten to pull us in line but never really follows through with actions. Thank goodness. I must admit, I, I have used that one a few times, not till midnight, god damn, I, I don't know if I'd stay till midnight, but I have used that one a few times saying, you know, well, I'll stay till nine o'clock if I have to, until, yeah. um, you know, I, I have now have my daughter and I'm married and stuff like that, so I think my swimmers know that there's no way I'd stay past seven o'clock because I'd be in big trouble with the boss at home yeah. if I was at the <laughs> pool till nine o'clock, so they call my bluff as well. <laughs> um, mate, you've, been, yeah. you've been training for a few years now, obviously, and I wanted to get a little insight into some of the toughest sets you've ever done. What What are some of the, you know, the sets that you look back on and go, oh, I don't even know how I'd got through that? 
um, with my previous coach, I did 50 100s on 115. Like, wow. Just unnecessary, you know? Yeah. I'm not a distance swimmer. So yeah. that, I think that's one of my most, it's more of a hated set, right? It was no, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. Yeah. But I hate it. Yeah. Um, oh, other hard sets. I guess, oh, Monday night, I've done 40 50s. Um, with a, like a race suit on butterfly. Mm-hmm. Our Monday nights are really, really challenging butterfly sets. So, yeah, 40, 50 straight of fly, like holding as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've done 72, 50s on 50, one freestyle, one butterfly. Butterfly basically holding as fast as you can. Yeah, they're usually revolved around butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> and like the amount of butterfly that we do. Like I've done, yeah, up to, you know, 3K a session of butterfly on a Monday night. And, yeah, I can't really say I find that really enjoyable. (laughs) Given the amount of fly you've got to do and and those tough sets you mentioned there, how important is is doing your stretching and activation and the stuff away from the pool um, so you're not finding, you know, injuries and things like that? Are you heavy into that sort of stuff and making sure you're you're doing that through the week? Yeah, I – yeah, I'm so fortunate enough to have quite a like a, a robust sort of body and I've never sort of had too many injuries and that sort of thing. But I also know that if I don't sort of keep up my stretching or my strengthening, mm-hmm. like, like TheraBand sort of strengthening, I mean, like almost like prehab sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. If I don't keep that up, maybe maybe that is something that like I would be injured. Um, but, yeah, I get a massage. I don't get physio much, only maybe for like a little niggle pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I get a massage once a week sort of on a Wednesday. We have a really, really hard Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday morning is usually a swim recovery. So I always off the back of that get a massage on a Wednesday morning. And I feel that like my body knows just to hang in there till Wednesday and it will you know, be released and then mm-hmm. I'm good to go for the rest of the week. So, yeah, I mean, I think my body sort of knows its routine and that, yeah, Wednesday, it gets a massage. You know, it's got time to sort of recover. We've got Wednesday afternoon off. So, yeah, my body, yeah, my body's sort of adapted to sort of the training and, yeah. What do you get up to away from the pool outside of swimming? What What are your interests and, and what do you get up to throughout your days? Um, most of my time away from the pool is actually taken up by a business that I have and it's West Coast Dress Hire. So mm-hmm. it's about, yeah, girls hiring dresses. Nice. And that's sort of basically. <laughs> um, sort of based at home and yeah I never sort of knew the work that would be involved before I sort of set it up that's for sure um, but I love it I'm so passionate about it and yeah I guess I now employ my mum because I can't handle everything myself yeah um, and yeah we've got a couple of girls that have done some marketing things with it for me as well and yeah I have learned so much through the business and I absolutely love it nice but, what yeah, made you get into that Oh, I don't really know. I think <laughs> I, I had um, been – I think I'd been to quite a few awards nights and maybe a few social balls and things like that, and I had just purchased dresses for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just had, you know, 10, 15 dresses sort of in my cupboard doing nothing. And someone sort of said to me one day, is that, bro, why don't you just, like, put them on – like, there's, there's a – Facebook page called Clothes for Rent. They're like, just list them in there and, you know, girls might want to hire them. I was like, oh, thanks for the idea. And sort of I did that and then it just sort of, it took off. And, yeah, I guess I'm I'm really fortunate that I've got no overhead, sort of I'm, I'm based at home. So especially during COVID, obviously no one's going out to events anymore yeah. that, yeah, the business sort of is obviously stagnant, but I don't have huge running costs or overheads to pay, which is great. 
Um, yeah, and then I didn't have to invest a lot of capital initially either. I just, if the business, if the dresses I had didn't hire, the business obviously wouldn't sort of have gone ahead, but I wasn't going to go out there and put a lot of money into something that, I don't know, would it pay off, would it not? So yeah. I, yeah, you know, I had 10 dresses and they sort of began to hire out and then, oh, you know, oh, I'll buy another a couple more and those hired out. So, yeah, the business was a really, really gradual sort of progression. I know you got the business with the dresses, but I also read somewhere during my research that you, you wanted to be a doctor when you hang up the togs and, and the goggles. Is this true? Um, yeah, it, it is true. I wouldn't say it's as true anymore. So I originally was studying physio and pre-medicine mm-hmm. um, at Notre Dame in Perth, and I loved it. I really loved physio, um, but it was it would, took me a long – I only got halfway through, and I'd probably – yeah, I'd been out of school four years, and I'd already – so I was doing everything part-time. And I sort of found that I wasn't able to, to do my, my, my clinical hours. I wasn't – yeah, I just was sort of – I wasn't I wasn't giving 100% at swimming because I was having to leave training early to get to uni and then I wasn't giving 100% at uni because I was always away for the pracs or away yeah. for important content so I ended up deferring mm-hmm. and yeah and it was a great decision and I don't regret it at all but I guess yeah my before that like throughout school and throughout my sort of first year as a physio I was like oh my my idea would I'd love to graduate physio and then to go into med, which is why I was doing pre-med. Um, but I guess I my I, my plan is to swim to twenty twenty four, and then and then if I was to start med after that, it would be twenty twenty five, provided I finish my physio degree, mm-hmm. and then that's a four year degree. So yeah, you know, time time's ticking. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd probably be thirty or twenty nine by the time I even started med. So I guess I sort of just sort of looked at. My age, I wouldn't say that it's it's not my passion. Mm-hmm. And I think to be a doctor, you it has to be a passion. So, yeah, I guess I was like, look, I'm going to put that little sort of, you know, previous goal aside and I started studying business, majoring management. Yeah. Um, a little bit to help my, my dress high business, but also I feel like it's a great degree that could sort of, I guess, take you anywhere. And I am loving it. Yeah. I guess I didn't – I did economics in school and I probably should have taken – uh, sort of realised that, you know, it ended up being my top subject at school. It was even higher than PE studies. And, yeah, I, you know, I just understood the concepts. And, yeah, so I'm a bit more of a, a numbers and finance person now <laughs> nice. as of recent times. No, I think it's good. I think it's great also to have, you know, things outside of swimming and other goals and, and aspirations. I think it's it's awesome. Yeah. Now, mate, you've been on the Australian team for a few years, as I said. So I think, you know, you're in a great position to help our listeners out in letting them know and giving a little insight into the Australian team. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a start to a sentence and then I'd like you to put a name at the end of the sentence of someone on the swim team that you think best suits it. So, for example, the first one is the funniest person on the Australian team is and then, you know, you add in who who you think, um, you know, that best suits. Okay. All right. So I've already given it away. So the funniest person on the Australian team is... Oh, Jake Packard. He's really, really funny. He's a funny guy. As I said, we spoke to him the other day and I think we spoke to him about 20 minutes after the podcast actually finished just having a chat <laughs> and having a laugh. Uh, mate, what about the biggest pest on the team? Oh, Tay. 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought about even not even putting that in because I didn't want to throw you under the bus, but I was, yeah. Nah. I'm going to do it anyway. No, nah, Tay's like my best friend, so it's all good. <laughs> she knows uh, it's a laugh. What about uh, the leader or leaders of the team? Um, Kate Campbell would have to be. Kate, Kate and probably Bronte as well. I Yeah, they are really, really incredible leaders and will always voice sort of a really appropriate opinion. And, you know, they'll always speak up if something's not not on or, you know, not going to plan. They, yeah, they're almost like the voice of the swim team. And, and I think both of them, um, in particular Kate, are, are really incredible leaders. And I'm sure you've been on a few nights out with the team after championships. What about best singer or dancer on the team? <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to say Tay again. We've, we've had a couple of... um. A couple of fun, yeah. <laughs> fun nights together, and yeah, she's um, she, yeah, she's a, she's a great dancer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about um, a person who gives you the best advice on the team? Someone you can sit down with and have a chat when you need to. Oh, um, probably Jess Hansen. I feel we're we're really good friends, but she's also someone that I could really go to and be like, Jess, like I've got this problem. You know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like Jess is like a really good friend but also offers really like really sensible advice and that she's a great listener. Hey, when we redo this interview in, in, say, two years' time and I get you back on the podcast again, what would you like me to be adding in the intro for you? What What accomplishments over the next two years would you like me to be putting at the top? Oh, I think anyone's dream is um to have an olympic gold medal yeah um so whether that's in a relay um or, or not i just think i would love i would love that so i guess that's that's my answer <laughs> no no that's no, a great answer you shoot for the stars that's fantastic um i think we'll wrap it up there brianna and i wanted to thank you very much for agreeing to come on for a chat today and appreciate you taking the time out to share some of your stories and good luck over the next few months training in isolation and, and trying to stay motivated and ultimately you know getting back in the pool at some point soon and trying to secure your spot for 2021 olympics in tokyo yeah thank you so much for having me on not a trouble at all, mate. Hopefully, we can get you back on the chat uh, on the podcast for a chat sometime down in the future. But thank you very much again for coming on Off the Block Swing podcast. Thank you. Cheers. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Pro Swim Workouts. Next episode of Off the Blocks comes to you this Friday, the eighth of May, and features one of the best stories we have brought to you so far on the podcast. It is an episode with a swimmer who is regarded as one of the nicest people of our sport. And after you hear her story, you will say one of the toughest as well. And I'm talking about Miss Jess Ashwood. Don't miss this amazing chat with Jess as we go through her career with all the amazing highlights, but also the pain and major injury along the way. It is an inspirational one to say the least and one you will not want to miss. Until then though, guys, it's bye for now. <laughs>